and it's 2 0 to the dog. Reeves gets a dipping body, Reeves. Oh, Reeves! Yeah. That is a goal to win any game. You saw it. You saw Vardy's at Leicester. That just took it out of the top draw. Fantastic arcing, dipping body. Reeves! Reeves has done it for the dog. Hi, I'm Jake Reeves and you are listening to the official AFC Wimbledon podcast. Come on, you dons. Hello, everybody. Welcome along to a brand new podcast series coming to you direct from Plough Lane. My name is Aaron Paul and this is the official AFC Wimbledon podcast bringing you the latest from SW17 every single fortnight. An exciting campaign is upon us and on every episode we'll endeavour to take you behind the scenes giving you, our brilliant supporters, the inside track of what's going on at your football club. On this week's episode we sit down with Michael Hamilton who gives us the latest from the prolific Wimbledon Academy. Last year we had nine academy graduates make their first team debut. We, we want ten, we want eleven academy players playing for the first team at once. We catch up with Matt Haylock after a busy old summer in the club shop. Then the third one dropped the other day and uh, everyone just went absolutely nuts about it, which is, we really didn't know what to expect. But we saved the best till last. Jake Reeves tell us why it was time for him to come home. From the first minute I signed here, I mean, the boys were led. I loved it how he was here and I'd loved it ever since. So then I then pushed to try and get back again. As you say, people like me here, which is really, really appreciated from me and I love them as well. And obviously just love the club and I just love what it stands for, how the club was built, everything about it. So hello everybody, welcome along to the first ever episode of the official AFC Wimbledon podcast. My name's Aaron Paul, it's great to be here back at Plough Lane SW17. We've got plenty to come. Let's get straight into the action. Here's Academy boss Michael Hamilton, who talks to me after a busy summer with more graduates taking their chance in pre-season. Michael, great to have you on with us on the first episode of the official AFC Wimbledon podcast. What's the summer been like? Um, summer's been as normal, really, just preparing for the new season. You end the season with what you think plans are going to be and things in place, but it's never as straightforward as that. So um, the under-18s have been in for a few weeks. They come in the first day, they, the first team come back. So we try and follow their schedule as much as possible. Same with the under-16s. So we're, uh, yeah, about, about 10 days away from the start of the season now. Um, we've got the younger boys that have been in. So they finish at the end of May. They finish for three or four weeks. They come in for a summer training block for three or four weeks. Now they're off and they come back at the end of August. The reason we do that is because we think it's important that they get time to go on holiday with their parents and stuff and, you know, be a kid. So, yeah, so some, it's been as normal as possible. Do you know what fills me with, with dread thinking about you and what you do? Go on. The Richmond run. Do you know what? You probably see me walking up and down the stairs very slowly today. We done the fifth, the under fifteens and sixteens done the Richmond Park yesterday. Yeah. And I ran it with them. And what what are the origins of the Richmond run? Who invented it? We we've always done it in an academy, and it was something that Mark Robinson was big on because the old Wimbledon back in the seventies and eighties used to do it as part of their preseason ritual, and we thought it was great for us attaching ourselves with the past and you know creating a culture and it's just become something that's been it's, it's now part of us um we used to only do it with the 18s 
And then a few years ago, we thought, you know what, we want to ramp it up. So we got the 16s involved. Yesterday was the 15s and 16s. And due to some of the date of birth, some of them are still 13, 14 years old. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we think it's a massive and it's something that we're always going to continue to do because it's it's not necessarily about football fitness, but it's more about the mental side. And, you know, there's times when you're running and you're like, why am I doing this? I want to stop. But that's the whole purpose of it. And we sell it that if you're going to progress in this industry and, you know, go on and become the footballer that you want to become, it's going to be difficult. And, you know, this is as psychological as it is physical for them. I saw you rolling around and on, on, was it on a bike with a coffee in your hand? So because I've always been there, depends on what event I play, sometimes play the chaperone, so sometimes I have to cycle. Um, there's other years that I've, I've decided to run it. Yesterday was the first time I ran it in like four years. Um, yeah, and it kills the ego when you've got 13, 14 years running past you um, and you're struggling. But yeah, the, every year I get slower and every year they get quicker. How long have you been at the football club? Total 15 years. In 15 years, who have been the best performers on the Richmond run? We've got Tom Wilson, yep. who's currently a second year scholar. He does long distance running anyway. Um, he's in the 45, 46 minute um, times. Will Nightingale used to be very well. Ben Mason. Um, we've got quite a lot of boys. I remember years ago when we started it, if you got in the 40 minutes, 48, 49, you were a superstar. Um, and probably the hour was the target. Now, if you get an hour, you know, you're, you're, you're slow. You're at the back of the bus. Um, so, yeah, everyone comes in. If anyone comes in after 52, 53, you know, we're, we're pretty, I wouldn't say disappointed, but, you know, the standard's been up. Leads me to my next question. Who are the worst? I mean, name some names over the past few years. Well, if you, Over the past 15 years or so. Well, if you go and buy yesterday's performance, Michael Hamilton will be one of the worst. I come in at just over the hour. Um, myself and Craig Longstaff, I have to shout him out, he's the academy goalie coach. He, me and him ran it and we represented on the staff inside. Um... Yeah, I don't want to say any players' names. Rob Tuvey's ran it before, to be fair. Back in the day, it used to be the goalkeepers. Um, the goalkeepers always used to do the worst. Or the, you know, the big strikers, the one that, you know, my game's about strength and power. Um, they use that as an excuse to... Not naming any names. No, no no names. But over the years, the boys have, you know, they know the, the value we put on it and what it, what it represents. So they've all, they all take part and they all try and smash it. I know I'm focusing on the Richmond run a lot because I, I dread it. The thought of it is horrible. But if the current first team playing squad had to do it, who would do well? Who would finish bottom ends? Come on, give us some names. Your thoughts? I have to go with the academy players. Morgan Williams. <laughs> yeah. Hussein Biller. Yeah. Jack Curry. I, th- I think those three would Jack Curry would smash it. Jack Curry's Jack got a little engine. He's like a, a one litre eco boost. He's, yeah. he's flying around everywhere. He'd run it and no sweat at all. Morgan Williams, to be fair, he's... He's tenacious, and when he when he's focused, he um he's focused, and yeah, if he was second or third with a cu- couple kilometers to go, he'd up it. So yeah, Huss, Morgan, and JC. My final question on the Richmond run: Fatal four way, Johnny Jackson, Terry Skiverton, Ashley Bays, and Rob Tuvey. Who's how, how's that going to finish? Fourth, Rob Tuvey. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Don't need much thought there. The Gaffer runs. I spoke to him the other day, and he's told me he's done two marathons, so he'd have to be he first. Has. Bezo locked arm, he upped his physical game, didn't he? So I'd have to put him, him and Terry, second and third, fighting it out. Gaffer first, Rob Tuvey fourth. Be surprised if he finishes it. Second, third, Terry and Bezo. How pleasing for you is it to see academy graduates in and around the first team once again? It's everything. That's our purpose. Um, I sometimes get pushed back by the club when I say, you know, I want 11 players 
to feature for the first team, all the academy players. Um, and that's always going to be our aim. Sometimes you get pushed back and say, look, you know, you've got to lower your percentage or your ambitions. But we're like, no, you know, I think it's it, whatever signings come in, whoever Craig and the gaffer bring through the door, it's our job to try and develop better. And, you know, th there'll be no bigger reward than one day looking out and seeing a team full of academy graduates. Um, what people don't see is the story behind the player. So Jack Curry, last year, debut, scores against Jindam. Brilliant. But he's been with us for five, six, seven, eight years, you know, mm. um, and the stories and the setbacks, um, the ups and downs, those are the bits that bring the story to life. So I, I remember going on tour with him and I think me and Rob would have been the leaders of this this tour and we were playing a game. So as you're, you're in a competition, you know, you lose the game, you're out. And I think Rob was highlighting to him, look, you can't let this winger beat you. You know, he's, he's a tricky winger and he's like, Rob, Rob, I'll have to stop you there. No one beats Jack Curry in a 1v1. <laughs> and it's just those little bits, those parts of the story that no one sees that when they go and make their debut, um, it brings it all together. And when they score on their debut, you know, it's even better. So, yeah, no, we're really proud. I think Morgan Williams became the 34th Academy graduate to make his league debut when he featured last season. And last year, to my calculations, I think we passed the 1,000 game mark of Academy graduates uh, making their first team appearance since the academy was formed. So, yeah, it's, it's massive. And there's a lot of people that are part of that story as well, some who aren't with us anymore because they've moved on, um, and some who are. And it's, it's everything, and it's, you know, it's what it's all about. Are you the proud dad, the proud uncle? Do you, have, do you shed a tear sometimes when you know someone's journey? You look at Will Nightingale. I, I watched the interview yesterday of him saying, I want to be this club's captain. I, wa I want to captain Wimbledon. I remember that. North team goals. I remember that, sitting down with him, and he had no hair on his face. He looked like a baby, didn't he? And I remember him like... But, yeah, no, and when he does become captain, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Mm. If you ask people, I'm not the proud dad or uncle, I'm the granddad now because I've been here so long and, you know, there's been so much change. But we're all proud. And like I said, like, so if you look at Ayub as an example, the 12 months leading up to Ayub's burst onto the scene with us, you know, it, we were trying to get him out on loan at clubs and, you know, we had managers sending him back in non-league football saying, you can't deal with the physicality in our league and I'm not sure. And some of the stories are, you could write a book of them and then you see him go and do what he does and it's just, it's just um, it brings it all together. But we're all proud and like I said, there's so many people that are part of a player's journey. We're very proud of our work. I'm very proud of the staff's work that goes into it, you know, in upholding the culture. And one thing I will say about AFC Wimbledon is they're very much academy orientated. You know, they, mm -hmm. like you said, they, they love to see academy players play, the fans get behind academy players like no other club and at the top end ultimately you need a gaffer and the first team management that play them you know and, and last year we had nine academy graduates which wouldn't happen I know some of it would, wasn't by design but it doesn't happen unless the manager pits them in so you know a lot of people go into the success of academy what does it take to, to be a Wimbledon academy player talent potential at first I know that's quite a generic answer but to get in you need to have something about you the, the way I see it is I I, I Box plays into three categories. So you either stop goals, create goals, or score goals. So stop goals, goalkeeper, defender, um, midfielder. You can stop goals. You can be a defensive midfielder. You can be a midfielder that creates scores. And if you're a forward, you need to create. And score. So I know it's quite straightforward, but there's so much that gets lost in what a footballer does or doesn't do. I look at efficiency and effectiveness on the pitch. That will get you in the building. Once you're in the building, then it's it's, it's motivation, it's work rate. Um, 
and I was, I, was, I was listening to an interview the other day and someone talked, well, it's Arsene Wenger and he talked about perseverance. So a, a person and a player can be motivated. They can come in on day one and work hard. But can you do it in six months' time, mm. in 12 months' time? And it's the perseverance. It's coming in every single day and having that motivational stamina to go at it again and again and again. And when the highs are high, don't get too high. When it's too low, you know, just stay focused and come in every day and give it your all. And those are the players that I find are the ones that come through. Um, we've had some very talented players in the past, probably more talented than the ones that do make it, but because they haven't got that motivation and they can't go out every day, you know, they probably fall short. At the same time, you do have some less talented boys, shall I say, but their talent is their work ethic and their mindset and they maximise what they've got. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say to get in the door, you need to have something about you, you need to stand out because the numbers are the numbers. To be a f professional footballer, it's, it's not easy at all. But to stay in the game and to progress, it's it's it's, it's work rate. Right? It's coming in every day, attacking your goals. It's um, being reflective and not deflective. So you know, if, if, if something bad happens on the pitch, ask yourself what I could have done better instead of going what's his fault or what's his fault, um, and just being honest and, and and making sure you you use us. I know what we as an academy and as a staffing team can provide a player but it's for you to come in every day and bring it all together and, and, and almost use us. Who motivates you, Michael? Good question. Um, I say the club and the staff. We are never happy standing still. Four years ago, when I became academy manager, the first thing we did, or I, I did, we got together, we looked at all the successes that we had and we thought, right, you know, what's next? And the one thing that we we were lacking or we thought we were missing was silverware. You know, Winning is quite a negative word in development. And the way we see it is you can develop and win. And if you're as good as you say you are, you can develop without prioritising winning, but still win. Um, and I, but I find when people want to put winning out there publicly, it puts a bit of pressure on them because ultimately you're saying, like, you know, we're out to win. So four years ago, we said, right, where are we at? What have we done? What's next? We want to put some silver in the, in the um, cabinet, shall I say. We want to keep progressing. We want to keep tallying up on our numbers that and, and our productivity has happened before. And we're going to do it collectively. And that's what's, that's what's happened. So even now, last year we had nine academy graduates make their first team debut. Right. We, we want 10, you know. Um, we want 11 academy players playing for the first team at once. That's the next step. So I, I suppose no matter, even when you do achieve and hit a target, and I hate targets in the sense that, you know, you do need a process behind the scenes to make these things come together. But even when you feel like you've done something or got there, there's always something else to do. So I'd say the club, um, we ha I have good staff in the building who make me want to get better and, and I can learn something off each day. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be academy manager of this great club. You know, it's not my academy, it's the club's academy. And I feel like I have a purpose and a, I owe it to the fans and to the club to always want to move and, and, and make things better. The training ground has, has had an overhaul. How big is that for you guys as well as the first team? Yeah, massive. Um, and there's been a lot of work that's gone over, that's gone on in the training ground over the last few months. So that's testament to Craig and the volunteers and everyone else that played their part. You know, we're quite big on this place being a place where boys, when they come in through the gates, they don't want to leave. And, you know, they want to be here because they're not 
only with their team but also with their friends it's very sociable but for that to happen there has to be a place where they want to stay you know um and i feel there's been so much upgrade over the last few months that it's now becoming that place where people look around and quite proud to be here and almost don't want to leave um it's great you go to some academies some clubs and the first team are in another building you know we're practically on each other's laps which has its negatives but also has its positives because um you know, I've just literally popped in here from the first team office mm-hmm. and it allows those formal and informal conversations to take place. So, um, yeah, massive praise to everyone that took part and, and contributed towards this upgrading over the summer. Two more questions for you. Um, one of them is quite serious. One of them is quite fun. What would you like first? Go fun. Okay. Um, I'd like you to tell me your ultimate academy graduate seven aside. So graduates who have come through the academy, think back, seven aside, let's have them. When you're a coach and you build relationships with players, you sometimes feel that little bit more of a connection. So in gold, I have to go Joseph Bursic because oh, I had him as... He's done well. Done very well. He's done very well. In Belgium, you know, in terms of connection and someone that I was with four, five, six times a week. Um, Joseph Bursic in goal. At the back, you've got to go Will Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Mr. Wimbledon, isn't he? I'm going to leave some players out. And I Jack Curry. I'm going to go two... Just purely for the engine. Just engine, yeah. And no one beats him in 1v1s. <laughs> Midfield, Radoni, Hartigan, and Assel, yeah. And up top? Do you know what? I'm going to go George Oakley. And the reason I'm going to say this is because as an under-18, we played a certain academy side of a club that I won't mention, mm-hmm. and he scored four goals in this game. And for that, he's an academy legend, so George Oakley. So we are going Bursic, Nightingale, Curry. Yeah. We're going to go Radoni, Assel, Hartigan and George Oakley. Up top, yeah. Great side, great side. The difficult question now, what are the aims for the academy this season and beyond? We set ourselves a target four years ago of winning, I'm going to set myself up here, winning a national competition every two years. So we've done that. We've won two in the last four. So we need one this season to keep up with our target. Um, we've just received notification that we're, we've been successful in getting into the Premier League Cup next season for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be good to see how we fare against you know some of the top sides in the, in, in the country. We want to maximise the potential of the individuals currently in the building um, we've got some very talented young men who some might be ready in 12, 18 months time. Some might be ready. It might take them three, four years, you know, so it's just important that we are very strategic with the way we plan their their pathway and communicate that. I think sometimes academy football gets battered for being, you know, this pressure cooker. Um, but the boys that are part of the academy are saying to the, to the boys yesterday, you know, you're, you're so privileged to be at an academy you know, there's only 92 clubs, football professional football clubs in this country. Not all of them have academies. You know, so when you start putting it all down and putting it out, like, the percentages are very small. So to become or to be part of an academy in 2023, you are fortunate. So enjoy it whilst you're here, um, and make sure you just smash every day and, and work hard. Michael, a solid effort for our first ever podcast here. At Tough AFC question for Wimbledon. you. Solid so, effort. You got a question for me? Yeah, Go solid on. effort. Two questions, only because you said solid effort. Okay. Yeah. What's a solid effort? Seven, eight out of ten? Six point five? No. For me, just saying all right means, yeah, amazing. Oh. So, go on, next question. 
your academy <sighs> seven aside. Okay, in goal, I'm going to go Matt Cox because you have chosen Joe Bursic and it's great you've chosen Bursic, you know, but there's only one keeper. Yeah. There's only one keeper. Spike's a bit young for my team. Yeah, good luck, Spike. Uh, I'm going for a kind of a, a, an operational hybrid back three. So imagine this. When we're cruising, it'll be Will on his own. That's like electric mode. But when we need the petrol, you're going to have Huss on one side and Jack Curry in the other. So you can have sort of like a weird little back three thing. Yeah. Rudy in the middle, just doing his thing. You know you know how it is. Then up top, I'm going Ayuba Sal and big Quain Bartley. I yeah. love him. I love him. The guy's a legend. So Quain Bartley is my man up top. There have been so many that have come through. Michael, thank you for your hospitality here at the training ground in the salubrious academy office. Thank you for the drinks. Thank you for the company. Really appreciate it. And thanks for being on the first ever pod. A huge thanks to Michael Hamilton. Let's head back from the training ground to Plough Lane and catch up with the head of retail, Matt Haylock, following the launch of the club's partnership with Umbro. Matt, what a difference a few months makes. A new kit deal with Umbro. A stunning trio of playing kits, goalkeeping kits and training items. All custom. What's the reaction been like from supporters? Unbelievable. Um, we we didn't really know what to expect, um, especially with the third kit that's just come out. I mean, I'd, I'd seen the um, the home and the away kit, and I knew I hadn't really seen the proper version of the third kit. Um, Mark makes them. He's actually said to me that he'd rather four people love them and four people hate them, and two are like meh. Um, rather than having 10 people absolutely love them um, or 10 people hating them. So that's kind of what happened with the, the home kit. Um, the away kit, people tend to really, really like that. I don't think um, Rocket, the kit man, does much um, because he has to wash them. And so he's he's always against a, a white kit. But then the third one dropped the other day um, and... the everyone just went absolutely nuts about it which is we really didn't know what to expect because obviously it's what we're doing is we're promising to people that we will have um, a a new home and away kit every year and then that away kit will turn into the third kit for its second year so each one has a two-year lifespan Um, and so we kind of because we'd promised that even though we changed the plier we kept the black iris and gold because it was so popular last year as well um and even though mark had said to me like he saw this as like the butterfly of last year's caterpillar um we still didn't know what to expect and and yeah it's just been incredible and um i've i've got to admit that when that reaction happened my heart sank a little bit because i was a bit cautious on the ordering <laughs> but for the for the very reason that i don't you know it was the same color a lot of people had last year so i the last thing i want to do um, is waste the club's money. So, but I mean, we're, we're with a, a company now. Um, we're going through Kit Locker, so we don't go direct to Umbro with Kit Locker, and they, they can turn reorders around pretty quickly. So we're not in any sort of trouble with that. Which one's your favourite? Um, I really like the away one. Um, we've not had a white kit for ages, um, and I, I do. I got to say, the third kit is just incredible. I like them all, to be honest. Um, I love the, the grading on the uh, the home kit as well um the way it's we kind of sneaked a bit of darker blue in there as well as the because you get a lot of feedback from people saying 
to Mark, you know, oh, that should be the home kit. You know, the, the Black Irish should be the home kit. And it's like, well, it's not, that's not in his power to change. He can't just say, right. Um, he, he works to um, the guidelines and we have a specific blue as our home kit. Um, so, I mean, if, if that was to go to a vote or anything, you know, I'm sure he would then work to different par- parameters. But he's kind of he's kind of got both in the, in the home kit, which is very, very clever. In terms of infrastructure, the club shop has seen plenty of work over the summer. Yeah, we, we um, so Danny had said to us like he, he wants us to be a bit braver which is music to my ears. So Danny's, you know, he's made it pretty clear that he wants wants us to be a bit braver. He wants to expand um, the leisure wear range. He said by 40%. So we've built a new structure in the shop that allows us to do that, um, shifted things around a bit. And I'm, I'm really chuffed with how it's come out, actually, because um, when we first kitted the shop out, we used a company and it was, it was pretty expensive for what it was. Um, and so... Um, we actually looked into how we could do it ourselves, how we could buy like the scaffolding poles and the and the joins and stuff like that. And we, yeah, I designed it. Um, and then Nick, the guy who does um, all our installations and stuff around the ground, uh, put it together. And yeah, it seems to have worked. Speaking of being brave, um, you got married over the summer. I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> a bit of a bit of a brave move, some would say. Uh, yeah, on her part, I think. Um, yeah, it was. Um, Sod's law that I, I, I proposed on the centre circle um, about a year and a half ago, and then about three weeks before the big day, I was um, clearing up some of my dog's presents in the garden and uh, managed to damage two discs and rip a muscle in my back. So we got married at a golf club, and I actually had to get a, a golf buggy down to the altar. <laughs> <laughs> but you got married that's the main thing yeah yeah we got she's, was t- she's taken you in sickness and in health absolutely yeah we're just waiting for the health at the moment <laughs> a bad fact a marriage it's all been happening for you um this season's going to be exciting isn't it I'm i mean you're really just hoping excited, that people yeah. people turn up and spend their money with you plenty more to come as well you were telling yeah. me about the winter ranges and and, and different bits and pieces that are coming up it all goes back to, to well there's two people really involved in this so i can't let the, I can't let this podcast go without mentioning Mark Jones and, and the influence he's had on um, my job because we've we, we, t- we took a stupid amount of money last season and if the kits had been horrible we wouldn't have taken that money so as much as there's a lot of organisation and there's a lot of hard work from myself and Anthony that goes on behind the scenes um, if we don't have a good product to sell we're a bit screwed so and it's not just it's not just the kits mark we like to have i'm very big on consistency throughout the shop so um we'll use bits of the kit in other things like pencil cases and stuff like that and even in little things like that whereas before you go to a supplier and they will give you some ideas and you pick an idea now i just say to them right give me a template i send it off to jonesy um and he comes back and he just nails it every time so um yeah i i we couldn't do what we do without him and and the fact that he does it kind of um for no money is just incredible and as i mentioned earlier danny has, has said you know yeah i want you to increase what you're doing be a bit braver so we've been using trying out some new suppliers i'm meeting two tomorrow um but we've got a, like a more premium range coming in um and i think people are going to absolutely love that i mean we, we've had a few samples in and a couple of customers have like we've left them out by accident and they've seen them and said my god can i buy that 
Um, so we've got some really, really nice stuff coming in. Um, so we're just going a bit bigger on everything, and we're order, ordering bigger quantities as well. Um, because I know it sounds weird, but um, I mean, last season there were, there would be times when I knew that on that Saturday game we weren't going to have any scarves for sale because we we'd ordered low and then they'd sold quicker than we thought. And I know it's just a scarf, but I genuinely would would I wouldn't sleep. Like it would keep me up at night because worrying about it. And then the Saturday would come and people would be like, oh, okay, no problem. But it, it, the, this job really, really gets to you as well. So we're going we're gonna to avoid that now. There'll be no running out of stock um, this winter for sure. What about the old crest, the Wimbledon FC badge? Because we've seen that pop up on some items. There's the rugby shirt. There, there are other bits and pieces. What's the future for that crest here at AFC Wimbledon and, and our heritage? That's, that's not a question for me to answer. Um Obviously, I love it. It brings back memories of my childhood. Um, we have bought out a retro range, and I, I have to thank um, my direct boss, Bal Sry, for that. Um, that was his idea to do that, um, and it absolutely went down a storm. So we are going to be doing um, a new retro range, a new year, which we're hoping to. We're hoping that that's going to kind of drop in October time. Um, I'm super excited about that because i think that's gonna absolutely explode so it's not just shirts either it's we're we're going polo from the from the same uh the same season um and also a tracksuit top as well and we've got the originals so thank you to john lynch from wish because he's actually lent me the originals and we're sending that off to the supplier um and they are going to um match it perfectly and I mean perfectly. Uh, so you'll be it'll be like buying the original again. A big thanks to Matt. Make sure you go and check him out on a match day and every other day as well. I'm sure he's got something or other for you to buy. Finally, it's time for our main event of the evening. Everybody, it's time to welcome Jake Reeves home. I still think I've got flashes of what I would have been like when I was originally here. Reeves, 30 yards out. Reeves gets a dipping volley. Reeves, yes! When I left here, it was in League One, so the idea is, in my period of being here, is to put that club back into where it should be. Jake, firstly, welcome home. Our first signing of the summer. How's the first month and a bit been back as a Wimbledon player? Yeah, quite quite seamless, to be honest. Um, as soon as I walked back in, it almost felt like it was like five years ago again, and just back there, or six years ago, I think it might be now. Um, and obviously, the last month's gone really well, so it's been perfect. It's been a bit of an up and down ride for you since leaving back in 2017 tell us about the move to Bradford why it happened and, and what happened during your time there so they did try and buy me the season uh, before in pre-season um, uh, the season where we just got into League One um, and Ard said look it's not happening like no chance I was like yeah fine like whatever no problem um, and then they obviously came back in the, the following season obviously offered a figure uh, to the club that they were happy with and I felt after a year in League One, and obviously Bradford just missed out on the playoff final uh, to go championship, I felt like ready for a, maybe a new challenge and next step. Um, and that's how it came about. What happened there then, um, a little bit of mismanagement with a bad injury, um, and I was out for a long time. It just is what it is, unfortunately. Tell us about that injury, because it was a really torrid time for you. The rehab period was long. What was it like for you, I mean, just living through it? 
Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. Um, I was living with uh, Don Polian mm. at the time. Uh, you know, great lad. So I played, I think it was up to Christmas time. Um, and we were still doing relatively quite well. We were still in playoff positions. But the last, I'd say maybe two months, I was playing fully, fully injured. I was only training on Fridays. I was drugging up on Thursday, Friday, play Saturday, then do nothing all week. Just like stuff in the gym, stretching. Um, I was fully gone. Um, then I just said to the gaffer, Look, I'm done. Like, I can't, I'm not giving you what you bought me for. Mm. And then, um, yeah, and then obviously it went for a period where t- technically I was out for like two years and then played the back end of my contract that I had there. Um, but the day-to-day stuff, you know, you have down days, you have up days. Some days you feel like you're getting somewhere and then obviously you get a setback, you get a knockback. I, I had quite a few. So it was tough. But at the same time, I kind of wouldn't change it as well. You know, I missed a big chunk of football. Um, but I was speaking to Michael Doyle. We played on until he was like 42. And he said the good thing about your injury and like the type of player you are, you will get those years back, mm-hmm. maybe in the later stages of your career. So, you know, it is what it is, but I've learned from it and obviously helps me to become who I've ended up becoming. So, Do you feel that came true as well? Because you had your experience with Notts County. You had to drop to the National League. Yeah. And, I mean, knowing you, it was probably because you probably just wanted to play football. Do, do you feel you had a point to prove? Do you feel that what Michael Doyle told you came true? You got those years back with... County and with Stevenage? Definitely. Um, obviously, going there and obviously we got promoted to League One. we done well. We stayed up quite comfortably. Probably in hindsight, we probably should have pushed on a little bit more and got a little bit of a higher finish. Then obviously pushed on to obviously a, a different challenge. And then when I eventually got fit, the club had been relegated within that period and obviously been mismanaged quite badly. Mm-hmm. And then it was COVID and then everyone who was out of a contract. I mean, I've been injured for two years. I weren't stupid. I knew what was coming in. I was going to get released. It was quite obvious. And so then I didn't really have too much around at the time because COVID, no one really knew. I got very, very lucky with my relationship with Neil Wardley that he was in a, a job at the time. Um, obviously, naturally, I didn't want to drop down to the conference, but there's always a part of me that always feels like I'm trying to prove myself no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done, whether it's coming back here, I still feel like I need to prove myself again. doesn't matter what we did before, that's gone now. Um, so yeah, so definitely, it definitely gave me a little bit more fire in the belly sort of thing. Did you get the buzz back of, of playing? Because people really underestimate consistency and having that sort of match day routine. For footballers, like whilst we go to work and do a nine to five or we, we go and do our jobs, this is your job as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's quite, it's quite similar to when um, the season ends. So like the first like few weeks are like fine because you you know it's been a long season you're tired you have your little bit of rest and then all of a sudden you're like you, you know, if you've got kids they're at school your your wife's working or something your mates are all working you're not really doing anything uh, so it feels very very similar that you just want to get back into it and obviously being out injured for so long so many things happened I was not allowed in the building until like half one in the afternoon because they didn't want me around the building I had to train on that my own that was at Bradford that was at Bradford why I think because so, it was so long and they were had so many different managers within that period that I was injured. I think a couple of them were getting the ump. They obviously wanted me to play. And I was like, mate, I can't. Like, ge- genuinely can't. Like, there was, it was do, a tough period. Do you, do you feel, though, that sometimes football clubs, they, they whilst you know they pay great wages and, and they give you a certain lifestyle, when you're on the floor, sometimes they don't help you as much as they should? Um, Support you? Because something like that, being ostracised from your, your colleagues, your peers, your teammates. Yeah. It must have been very difficult. Yeah, it, it was tough. Yeah, like I said, I, I think it depends on what kind of club you're at and who's in charge. And, you know, it obviously 
most of the time it does kind of boil down to the management, but sometimes it does come from obviously above them as well and they have to kind of go with what the club want, especially if like you're trying to get a player out and stuff like that. The manager might not agree, but they have to do that because that's what the club said. In my personal experience, I think there was about five managers in that period mm. and then I eventually got fit and it was uh, Gary Bowyer. Gary Bowyer was unbelievable. He'd had a long-term injury when he played, so for me, he was absolutely amazing. Can't probably say that about a couple of other managers that were there at the time when I was injured. But it's part and part of football, you know what I mean? They want to win games, they, they feel like they've got a player there that maybe they can help them and they're getting frustrated. I do understand that. I think they try and do things, maybe they think it's in my head that I was injured, but it clearly wasn't. And they were trying to like spark something. So there's different reasons for it, I'm sure. I was going to come on to Gary Bowyer. Great man. He's, he's always been a very pragmatic manager. He's always been someone who... If you've got a fire to put out, he's the man to, yeah. to give you a call. You look at the work he, he's done at multiple clubs. I look at Blackburn especially, yeah. you know, you know, to go in and steady them effectively. But he talked about you quite extensively when you were at Bradford. And he talked about you, the influence you had off the pitch. When a lot of people may have written you off, he was backing you up. Firstly, how big was that for you at a low point in your career? Maybe when you weren't feeling amazing too. Do you feel you changed as a person? during that time out? Uh, to answer your second one, I don't think I changed as a person. I mean, obviously, I was at this same period as well. My missus has moved up. Uh, my little boy was born. So, obviously, naturally, I matured, shall we say, a little bit more, obviously, from going, I think I left when I was 24. And then, obviously, got back playing, like, what, I think it was 26. So, I think I naturally matured as a person. Um, as a player... I was always worried about what am I going to be like, obviously, with a long-term injury, am I going to be the same, all that sort of stuff. But what Boya gave me was just communication, it was, was, the, was the first thing, and asked me genuinely, like, genuinely, how are you? Like, just be honest with me, and I won't rush you, we'll just try and do everything we can for you. He was, he was probably the only person that gave me that at that time, mm-hmm. and obviously, like you said, being at a low period, and coming back in from pre-season, I can't speak highly enough of him as a, a manager, but you know, secondly, as a person, he was brilliant. Getting back to playing, you joined Stevenage. What a mad couple he is with that club. Always consistently keeping their heads above water. Yeah. Bringing in Big Evo. I absolutely adore him. What was it like playing for him and, and being involved in one of his dressing rooms? Yeah, t- to be honest, I mean, there's a lot of um, chat about Steve Evans from other clubs and maybe if players that have not played with him, they're always asking, like, what's he like? What's he like? What's he like? And genuinely, people sometimes don't believe me because they only see what happens on the football pitch and stuff like that. And, He's um, one-on-one as a, as a person. He's top top, top geezer. Like, he you is. can have some of the best conversations with him. He was brilliant. Like, if you get to um, an away game early, he'd sit down and have a coffee with us, tell us all the great stories that he's, you know, he's got so much experience and been through loads. So, you like, you know, he's brilliant one-on-one. And, and what he demands as a manager is just pure standards. That three-five-two-five-three-two. Yeah. The full-backs bombing up, Luther James Wilde and Carl Pierre Gianni playing oh, yeah. ridiculously well. As a team, you were a machine. Oh, yeah, massively. I think as well what people, because they associate as Stevenage, like you said, they've been struggling for a few years and they go, wow, they've done really well. But if you actually look at the recruitment and you look at the actual 11 that we had, for example, or like the 13 where other lads coming in, that's a very, very good team that probably wouldn't have been wearing or associated with that badge before. Whereas, obviously, Steve Evans' recruitment was unbelievable. You know, so there's, for us, it was no surprise. Maybe from the outside, it was a surprise. But 
as soon as we got everyone in, it was like, do you know what? We're going to have a good go here. Do you know his wife? Uh, I've met her a couple of times. Do you, do you know what she does for a living? I don't. She's. Do you know she's like a world champion ballroom dancer? Oh, no way. Yeah, like Strictly style. I'd love to see Big Steve with her dancing. That's what we've always <laughs> said. We've always tried. Um, they're, they're a great bunch. I mean, him, Paul Rayner. Yeah, uh, I love Rayner. I, I call him I Scrappy Dude. Yeah, yeah, I love um, But You know, a, a brilliant bunch. He's a Marmite character, but a really funny guy. Yeah underneath everything else let's bring it back to Wimbledon tell me about the decision to come home because that's what it feels like and I think everyone agrees that Jake Reeves has come home yes you're a South London boy but but you are Wimbledon and Wimbledon is you and I'm not just trying to sort of indoctrinate you into a way of life but everyone loves you here how did the move come about why did you decide to swap League One for League Two why was it time I've said before in um, other interviews when I was younger when I came on loan when I was 19, and I, I was only here for a very, very brief brief period, I wanted to be here longer, I got called back. Um, I think I only played five games. It was my first real time where a manager really gave me, you know, licence to go and play and give me that appreciation. And it from the first minute I signed here, I mean, the boys were ledged. I loved it how it was here, and I'd loved it ever since. So then I then pushed to try and get back again, which we did obviously before. So then this coming up again later on in my career, it's quite nice that there's been different stages to it. And the fact that I've never, ever left on bad terms, as you say, people like me here, which is really, really appreciated from me and I love them as well. And obviously just love the club and I just love what it stands for, how the club was built, everything about it. So coming back was a very, 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 very simple decision. Tell us more about how the move came about, if possible. Very, very quickly. um, A couple of uh, the Stevenage lads had worked with um, Gaffer before so I knew that there was a bit of interest before the end of the season. Apparently, he'd like asked and said, like, what's Reeves doing sort of thing next year? I quite like him. And they obviously told me, obviously told me that the gaffer's a good guy or whatnot. Um, and as soon as the last ball was kicked, I had a phone call literally like the next day from my agent saying, look, there's been an offer put on the table already. And I was like, oh, OK, like, who from? He said Wimbledon. He's obviously, he knows my relationship with Wimbledon anyway. And uh, I was like, oh, just quite surprised that it come about so quick. But then we went on our end of season do. Uh, we went to Marbella uh, with Stevenage. So obviously that cooled down obviously for that period because I couldn't really see my phone, let alone answer anything. Um, so when I got back, it was, a, it was a case of just thrashing out the personal terms and it was done, basically. I didn't even bother looking anywhere else. You, for me, are the complete number four. How have you changed as a player of the past six years? What have we missed and, and what can we look forward to seeing in, in Jake Greaves who's come home? I still think I've got flashes of what I would have been like when I was originally here. Obviously, the game's different, the game's changed. Obviously, managers play you in different roles. But I think calmness, being able to organise as well, I think I've massively learned over the last few years. Organisation off the ball, on the ball even, you know, how the how the managers want you to play. I always feel like in the middle of the park, you're kind of responsible for that because you are the linchpin for both sides. You're a linchpin for the back to the front. Um, so you can make a real big big difference on that. And if that's calm in there then I feel like everyone else will be calm. I think if it's erratic and it's not composed, people are making rash decisions, then I think it really, really affects every single other department in the football pitch. Um, So composure, I'm always going to want to get on the ball. If we're playing long, it's organisation, it's getting the second balls, it's playing in the right areas. Um, But you still, if allowed to or played in a different way, I'm still going to get up and down, still going to run about, still feel good. So yeah, hopefully a bit of everything. You're loud as well, aren't you? I am very loud. Yeah. I love it. 
Yeah, very I love nice. it. I think everyone loves it. I mean, that's that was the buzz at, at Woking and, and at Met Police, hearing you just screaming at players. I mean, <laughs> it's, that's the beauty of going to grounds like that, though. You get to yeah, to, you can't feel... hear it at home sometimes, can no. you? Like if the crowd's like a league game and it's really loud, you, some people can't really hear what's going on or what's being said and stuff like that. I mean, a good example of it was Jordan Henderson when it was COVID year, no one really understood, and all of a sudden everyone's going, "Oh my god, all you can hear is he's literally bossing the game without even touching the ball," and that's. Perfect. Is that the sign of a good holding midfielder, central midfielder, someone who can control it? Because effectively, you are you are the engine room. You're the eyes, the ears, the engine room. Of, oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you, I mean, you can clearly, obviously, be a good player without without talking, without shouting, without doing all that. But as I said, if you are going to be in the middle of the pitch and you're kind of helping every single person on the pitch when you've got the ball, you should be able to do that with your voice as well because you can see the bigger picture. You can see what's building up. You can obviously see, like I said, if the manager wants us to play a certain way, you can see if someone's not in the right place. You can do that. So doing it with your voice, it just helps everyone. And if everyone can help everyone, then obviously then you've got a good basis. Gaffer wasn't a bad central midfielder, was he? He had a good career, didn't he? He had a very good career. <laughs> Did you ever come it? up against him? Uh, no, no. I was um, I was a young boy at Brentford when he was at uh, Charlton. And well, I'm from around that way, so my mate's Charlton fans. He's like a legend at Charlton. They mm. absolutely love him. Um, but I was in the squads and stuff like that and watched him play. So I've seen him first down. Yeah, he was a good player. Would you have liked to play alongside him? Cool, yeah. Yeah, you don't come up against uh, too many technically gifted left footers at all. So, yeah. Tell us what you found coming back to this football club because there's been a sea of change. It's been a, a mad six years. The roller coaster ride up into League One, back down into League Two, a new stadium, fresh training facility as well, new faces. It's a different Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, the first thing I notice is obviously how far the club has come off the field. So the new stadium, for example, is obviously amazing for the level. I mean, it's outrageous. It looks incredible. Anyone who comes, even Portsmouth boys, they've got one of the oldest stadiums. You know, they've got so many fans. You can see them looking around when they come to the ground. Like, cool, this is ledge, isn't it? Like, I mean, none of them have been there probably. And um, yeah, so, so off the pitch, how far it's how far it's come along. But it still feels like the same club as well. I think they've done really well to maintain how the club was built, the foundations, what it's built on, even though it's moved forward. Group of lads is different, but yep. does it still have that same sort of feel, that Wimbledon feel, the, the feel of hard work, determination? You've got some different characters these days. Yeah, there's different characters. Uh, the younger lads coming through are completely different characters, for example, for like 10 years ago. You know, the game moves forward, the world's different now. But still within that, as long as you have, especially the younger lads coming through, if they're good lads, they're willing to learn. And then you need the experienced ones to still be able to embed those principles into them and give them help when they need it. I was very lucky when I played. I had good older pros around us that would give you that. If you needed getting a knockdown, you'd get it. If you needed an arm around your shoulder, you'd get it. Well, I'm on the other side of that, and that's like my job, Harry Pell's job, Pierce's job, you know, Brownie's job. And I think at the minute, from so far anyway, we've got that balance quite, quite well. What's life outside of football like for Jake Reeves? Uh, very chilled out. Family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a little, uh, I've got a little four-year-old boy. Um, I've got two sausage dogs, which are quite called? young. Uh, we've got one called Mabel and one called Hugo. Can I just say I'm gutted one's not called Lala, one's not called Bayo, or one's <laughs> yeah. not called Yeah, I don't think Bully my missus would have cared too much for that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to choose any of those names. But yeah, yeah, it's just it's quite chilled out. I live in a little village in uh, just next to Swindon. So, yeah, once I get home, it's, it's very, very chilled and relaxed. Is it nice to be in and around London and South London once again? You're a Lewisham boy. You, you, you was born yeah. there. You, you come through Brentford. South London, South West London is, is what you know. 
Yeah, yeah. I did move back when I was at Stevenage. I was back in Dartford. I was back down that way, so I was like, see me mates, see me mums, you know, all that. Um, and then my missus obviously is from a, from Swindon way, so uh, we decided to move back to her way. She's moved her life for me for a good few years, so we've moved back that way. The one thing I I don't miss is traffic. Now I get no traffic, like <laughs> literally nothing ever. And then the only time I get traffic is if I'm leaving here. But yeah, being back home, it makes it a lot easier for me to go see my family as well, so it's nice. Bit of a different ground. From, from the Lamex as well, isn't it, Plough Lane, for, for your family? I hope your mum enjoys the hospitality and yeah. it enjoys what a stunning stadium this football oh, It's amazing, has. yeah. Like, they've done so well and it, as a player as well. Like, obviously, we had a great year last year, but could you imagine having a great year in a stadium like what oh, we've got now? How, how good that would be, how the, how the buzz, the fans, like you said, the hospitality areas, you know, it's, the club's completely moved forward. What are your objectives for this season as Jake Greaves, uh, Wimbledon's number four Wimbledon's holding midfielder and as AFC Wimbledon as a football club well obviously when I left here it was in League One so the idea is in my period of being here is to put that club back into where it should be that's that's my objectives and hopefully I can stay here as long as possible I love it my man knows what he wants I'm going to end this chat Jake with a rapid fire they say that when you give someone no time to think about things that's when the truth comes out so I want you to tell me the first thing that comes into your mind when I ask you these questions. Okay. You ready? Yep. Okay. Full name? Jake Kenny Reeves. Age? 30. Position? Centre midfield. You've passed the warm-up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who is the best midfielder ever? Ever? Yeah. Uh, Iniesta. Scariest footballer ever? Scariest. Um, I got knocked out by David Luiz when I was young and he still haunts me. <laughs> the hair or just... No, just the fact that he t- took my nose clean off my face. <laughs> it looks good now. Uh, <laughs> best stadium you've ever played at? Uh, I love Sheffield United's ground. Who's your best friend in football? Uh, Lyle Taylor. Who is the one footballer the streets will never forget? Uh, Akin Fenwa. What is your karaoke song? Uh, I always sing Build Me Up Buttercup. If you weren't a footballer, what would you be? Um, I did a course to do basically uh, like physiotherapy and stuff like that. Who's your favourite midfield partner? Midfield, what that I've ever had. Yeah, it's got to be bully, isn't it? Who would play you in the movie of your life? I would like Ryan Gosling, but he's probably a little bit too tall. Who's your backup? For height reasons, probably Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the best Wimbledon player you've ever played with? Best Wimbledon player I've ever played with, uh, Lyle. Your favourite Don's moment? Mine was the Accrington run for Lyle's goal in the semi-finals of the playoffs. That's my one. Obviously winning it, but if a single moment in a game, that was my favourite. Nice. Jake Reeves. Impressive as ever. I would expect nothing else from uh, from a man of your calibre. Thank you so much for joining us on, on the inaugural official AFC Wimbledon podcast. It's been a pleasure. We cannot wait to see you strutting your stuff properly in the league at Plough Lane. Thank you very much. That is it for this episode of the official AFC Wimbledon podcast. Thank you to all of our contributors and everyone who helped put this together. Remember to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to get a new episode as soon as it drops. We'll catch you in a fortnight. Come on, you dons.